Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. As members of the Body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all. Now here's Pastor Alex. I've been uh, talking the last couple of Sundays about money, finances. I, I really believe it's important to talk about money once a year at least, and uh, teach on it, not because you need new information. For a lot of us, this is not new information, but I know that for me, I need encouragement because I can make commitments and be disciplined for a while, but I kind of lose heart sometimes. I kind of get discouraged or forget, and I, and I kind of go off track, whether it's a financial commitment or a Bible reading commitment or a serving commitment. So it's just good to be inspired and reminded and kind of brought right back to where I know Jesus wants us to be concerning our finances. One of the things that you may or may not know about me is that I wasn't born in church. I wasn't born in a Christian home. I wasn't born of Christian parents. There was little to no Christianity in my childhood at all. Maybe I went to church. I remember twice as a kid, we had five children in our family, and so my parents would, in their house coats, throw us all in the station wagon, drop us off at church. It happened two times, very vivid memory, and drive home and go back to bed. Probably nursing a hangover or something, I'm not sure. But, but they had a couple of hours sort of to kind of get rid of us, you know. And I had vivid experiences with God, even as a five-year-old. It really impacted me, but it wasn't until much, much later, college, uh, where I actually gave my life to Christ. So I remember, though, uh, right before I got saved, I was probably 19, 20 years old, I went to visit my mom. And my mom was uh, remarried, living in Missouri. And, yeah, that's me. And, and I was um, living in California because I had moved out of my house and hadn't seen her for like two years. And so she was really worried about me. So she and her new husband, living in Missouri, came out to Orange County to visit, and uh, I came down to her hotel to say hello. And uh, so she was looking at me, and I was telling her, she's going, how you doing, Alex? I'm really worried about you, and how you doing? I said, oh, huh? I said, hon, Mom, I've got a job, I have a car, and I know how to comb my hair. And so <laughs> she had this impression that I was really doing great, and I kind of let her live with that impression. The fact is, I was doing horrible. I was absolutely aimless in my life. I had no plans. I was going to school, but I wasn't majoring in anything. I was actually majoring in surfing. I was on the surfing team. That was all I wanted to do. So she had this idea about me that I was like really straight and narrow and kind of getting my act together, getting a career and all that kind of stuff. And the truth was, I was going nowhere. I had no discipline. I was overly optimistic about everything. I had no plans. I figured, hey, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be just fine, whatever. I don't have to really do anything intentionally. Well, I fooled her, but I didn't fool God. And fortunately, a couple of years later, I met Jesus. And I, I had the opportunity to discover that my life actually did matter. My life actually had a purpose, and I had this kind of intuitive sense as a believer now that I, I can't waste this precious thing called life any longer. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So the very first Christian book I ever bought, it wasn't a Bible. My Bible was given to me by somebody at, in a tent, revival meeting somewhere. So my first 
purchased Christian book was this one. It's called How to Set Goals and Really Reach Them. I still have the book. In fact, I meant to bring it to show it to you, but there's a picture of it. That was my first book because I knew intuitively I've got to be intentional about my future. I've got to prepare. I've got a plan. I've got to have a plan of action. And, and God needs to show me where I'm going. So I bought this little tiny book. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me because I recognized God does have a plan for my life. And he really will help me find it and get on a path and walk it and actually fulfill his assignment for me. That was just revolutionary. It was like, you've got to be kidding. There's actually, because my... The parenting that I got didn't display that. My experiences among my siblings didn't experience that. I didn't really know it was even possible. But I found out God said, yes, it is. It is possible to plan to prepare for your future. And a lot of it, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it can actually come to pass because of his faithfulness, his calling, and his promise. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The point is, concerning finances, that's also true. If we plan and prepare for our future, most of it, probably not all of it, will actually come to pass because we live on a fallen world, in a fallen world. And so as I'm reading my Bible now as a new believer, I'm thinking, you know, this is an amazing book. And I remember coming across Proverbs chapter 6. I loved Proverbs as a brand new believer. Little nuggets, you know, one-liners, man, just kind of boom. Just kind of boom, 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 boom. Just really great, easy to remember points about how to live. And I remember coming across Proverbs chapter 6, the one about the ant. Proverbs 6, verse 6. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs 6, verse 6, 7, and 8. Because I want to read that to you because I remember reading this, and at first I was a little offended. I said, this did not be nice to me. Why? Because God says this. He goes, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. I don't like being called a sluggard. Thank you very much. But in the back of my mind, I knew I had been. And I had to get this act together. He says, talking about the ant, verse 7, it has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. In other words, God was saying to me, Alex, look, even the insects, these eight-legged arthropods, know how to get their future in order. Watch them and learn. I'm thinking, okay, there's a, there's a really strong, vivid, powerful message for me. And even using the word sluggard, that's kind of like, oh, you got my attention. Poof, wake up, Alex. This is for you. And I remember reading this and going, that's kind of curious that that God would give us such a visual aid, this kind of metaphor about how to live our lives. And he's talking about how ants don't really have, I don't think, the mental capacity to put flowcharts together, to develop annual calendars and monthly payment schedules. I, I don't think they have all that. They just intuitively know that when there is abundance in summer, you don't eat all your food at once. You eat some and put some aside. I'm thinking, that is amazing. You can actually not consume everything you get the moment you get it. Because again, that was my childhood. That was kind of my mode of operation. And so I'm thinking about this and I'm going, God is very serious about planning and preparing for the future. Can I just say something that might be surprising to you? There's another word for this. It's called budgeting. 
Just budgeting, that's all it is. So I want to talk this morning about what God says about planning for the future in terms of budgeting, but you know, you may not have a real quick and easy time making the transition from your life and your finances to an ant and a sluggard. So I've got a couple of other ways that might help. Same metaphor, a different metaphor, but same point. Let's say you're not an ant and you're not worried about winter. Let's say you're a human and you're worried about tornadoes, okay? Because what winter is to an ant, tornadoes are to humans. Winter is bad for ants. It's bad. Can you imagine being an ant without food? in the wintertime. It's freezing cold. Well, good thing they got underground man- ant caves. Not man caves. And, but there's got to be food down there or having the cave is pointless. But what winter is to ants, tornadoes are to humans. So I, I think what God wants to do is elevate the importance of budgeting to us because a lot of us, frankly, we kind of go, look, how hard could it be? I got my bills memorized. I always seem to have enough money and I just kind of just kind of write checks just make sure I don't go down to zero and by the end of the month you know I'm good I get another paycheck we'll just start over again you know and if I asked for a show of hands I know that a majority of people would say I do not have a written budget because I've done that before why because hey it's, it's not rocket science man I got this figured out but the fact of the matter is when we don't write things down on paper and follow them we waste we just do we just are wasteful people. We're not conscientious. And I'm not saying this because I want more of your money or I want you to be wealthy. I'm saying because God says that's the way to spend your life. Preparing and planning ahead. So if your winter were a tornado, can you imagine how these people feel? The, this, this is this spring in Oklahoma. Tornadoes very, very recently tore through small towns in Oklahoma, destroyed everything. How would those people feel if they knew for certainty that tornado was coming to their neighborhood? How would they change their behavior if they knew for certain this tornado is coming down my street? Do you think they would change? Absolutely. It's, oh, it's so sad. And I know that many of you were down in New Orleans, and Judy, you've got relatives in New Orleans after the the tornado, the hurricanes down there, Katrina, and you saw the devastation, the place just wiped clean. God wants us to understand managing our finances is this critical. There will be storms in your financial future. That's not gloom and doom. That's a fact of life. God says, prepare for that. Prepare for your winter. At least they still love their country. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now this picture's different. What's different about this one? storm shelter. What would you say is different about this family? They're alive. They understand budgeting. They understand how to plan ahead. Prepare for the winter that is to come. They may have lost everything, but guess what? They're still here. God is not saying this is life and death, and that's probably the other kind of deceptive thing about managing finances is we figure, look, Even if I go bankrupt, I'm not going to die. This is America. So it's not perhaps as tragic and dangerous as living in a tornado zone, but but God wants to elevate the importance of managing and planning for our future. Storm shelters change everything. In fact, they become so popular, they're now manufacturing little modulars that you can have dropped off on a truck. You dig a hole, drop it in the ground, and you're good to go. 
I'm thinking, shoot, that looks easy and cheap, too. I'll take one of those. So they're now, you know, going gangbusters selling these things, and now they're even making them look cute. Look at that. Put that in the side of your planter, and away you go. You're safe and you're sound. That's budgeting. You're just planning ahead. You like where you live. You don't want to move. Perhaps you can't afford to move, so you just want to make sure you live through whatever might come. Or you can have one built by hand. These guys are glad they had a budget. They're very, very happy. They don't like what they see afterwards, but they're still here to see it. This family, very, very happy. They have a shelter. So that's kind of what winter is to the ant, and that's what God is saying. Take a look at this and be wise. What's the opposite of wise? Foolish. Foolish. Stupid. That was the young man that I was sitting in front of my mom looking like I had my life together, and I didn't. The Lord said, Alex, come on. You can do better than this. You need to start treating your life and your future like everything really does matter. Don't be so laissez-faire, so woo-hoo, it's all going to work out just fine. Yes, in Christ, it is well with my soul. Yes, I have a hope and a future. I have a right and a responsibility and a privilege of expecting the best from my God because that's what his promise is. But that doesn't mean I don't have to partner with him. Maybe uh, tornadoes don't really speak to you because, you know, they don't come our way very often. Maybe, maybe um, high tide will speak to you. Let's take a look at this video. In Northern California tonight, evacuations amid a real-life cliffhanger. A neighborhood hanging on the edge as a powerful El Nino eats away the coastline and may take homes with it. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez has all the high drama. On the California coast, just a few feet separate these apartments from disaster. The building hanging in the balance. And Michael McHenry hanging on to what he has left. The surf breaks so hard when it comes up that the whole place shakes and there's just no way you're going to sleep regardless of what you try to do. The structure that once allowed him such stunning views is now teetering on the edge of oblivion. Still, despite evacuation orders, five of the 20 residents living here are refusing to leave. I have nowhere to go, so I will be here. The severe erosion blamed on El Nino. This is what Pacifica looked like in 1997. This is what it looks like today. We knew that this day was going to come. We didn't Last night, the city council approved an emergency declaration allowing Pacifica to ask for state and federal money to fight coastal erosion. The area has tussled with El Nino before. Strong storms in 1998 booted several homes off this cliff. Then in 2010, two buildings were evacuated and condemned. This season, torrential downpours might help relieve California's historic drought, but Pacifica is feeling the downside, quite literally. El Nino pretty much guarantees it'll have more numerous storms, and that's a pounding effect on the coastal area and more chances for beach erosion. For Michael McHenry, it's not just his home, but his life that seems to be collapsing. I'm about to be on the street. The, the ocean, if it wants us, it's going to come take this. We don't have the power to slow it down or stop it. Tonight, he's moving his belongings, but has no place else to stay in this town, tired of living on the edge. Residents here are allowed inside to pack, but they're not allowed and not supposed to spend the night. Still, some of them are ignoring that order even though another storm is expected this weekend. Lester. It's a remarkable scene, Gabe. Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking. Uh, there is a way to survive this kind of 
devastation? If you can afford it, there, there's really a simple answer besides you know, preparing and planning for it. What would be the obvious answer? Move. <laughs> Just move. Come on. Oklahoma, California cliffside. But not everybody can do that. But, but here's the point. Um, when it comes to finances, you can't just move to get away from trouble. In fact, Jesus said, John 16, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. So it, it, it is coming. And so simple decide, simply deciding to budget my finances on a monthly basis is just a... a a matter of saying, I'm going to take the steps to make sure that no matter what comes in my future, whether it's an emergency, an opportunity to give, an opportunity to go, or, or a chance to do something fun because God's blessed us with time and money to go on a vacation and just receive the, you know, the benefits of being disciplined and hardworking and, and committed, child of God. That only happens if we plan ahead. So one of the things I'd like to really nail down this morning is budgeting shouldn't be an option for Christians. It just shouldn't. No one's going to check up on you. I mean, God knows what we're doing or not doing. But it really should be something that we, we just take seriously and perhaps we're not going to die or lose our home. Some of us have lost our home because of poor planning, actually. But God says, look, take a look at the ant. Winter will kill him if he doesn't plan ahead. So the next question I have is, what is a budget? What is a budget? Etymology is simply the history or development of a particular word over time. The word budget originally was seen in the French language, and it just meant a bag or a pouch or a wallet. Obviously, a place that you kept your coins, probably gold and silver back in the day. Okay, so a budget is a pouch. Wouldn't it be cool if every time a bill came in, you had a pouch of gold to go, I got this, man, here you go. And the pouches kind of was always there, never ran dry. That's what budgeting provides. It actually feels like you have more money when you watch and manage what you do have. And then it developed into uh, an Irish word that actually meant uh, and described a pod of peas. That's a little different, a little vegetable, but, but the same picture, right? It's like you pop that little pod open, there's the riches, baby. You got peas in there. That's what the Irish called a budget. Got a budget of peas. And then finally, the most uh, recent was the Latin word, which meant a bulge. I like that. It's like, that guy's rich. Look at his pockets. You know, look at that bag. It's bulging out. Wouldn't it be nice to have an intentional bulge in your budget? That's simply what budget means. It means that you're just trying to, to um, judiciously and, and methodically, intentionally cause there to be increase and excess for the purposes of God, which begin with living, paying bills, but also giving, being prepared for emergency, and enjoying his creation. First Timothy says, God's riches have also been given to enjoy. It's not bad to have an entertainment part of your budget. So if we want to be people who are, are committed to budgeting, we need to just understand it. it requires that I intentionally find a way to cause a bulge to occur in my in, not my income, but in my savings or in my set-asides or in my budget somewhere. Larry Perkett put it very simply. He said, keeping a budget is not complicated. It takes two things. 
a piece of paper and a sharp pencil. And then the discipline to follow through on it, right? But getting started, it's really not hard. I mean, it's just not hard. The hard part is not the mechanics. The hard part, like Bob said, is the discipline and the commitment. So going back to the end, when you think about what, what Solomon was saying and through him, God's saying to us, the, the ant is storing provisions. The word provision is going to be providing for me in my future. I'm going to have enough. I'm going to have some in the future no matter what comes. It comes from a Hebrew word which means to establish, to prepare, and to arrange for a bulge. And he does this in the summertime when there's increase in harvest time. He doesn't eat everything. He puts some of it aside. Now some of you are thinking, man, on my income, there is no excess ever. And I understand. Some of us are unemployed. Some are on fixed income. Some of us are just working at not very well-paying jobs and have a high living expense. I understand that. But I've been there. Pam and I have been at places where we've taken the single avocado and tomato and made five sandwiches out of it for roofing. And one block of cheese. It was like five slices for five sandwiches of each of those items because that's all we had. And it was enough to feed me. And that's all we had. We had a zero balance budget every month. Meeting zero was a victory. Woohoo! After ties, and we were actually given to building fund at the time as well, paying our bills. So I understand what it means to live on a limited income. Here's where the breakthrough was for us is when somebody helped us, a financial advisor came along, and we said, hey, there's nothing to advise, man, but you can take a look if you want. Because you know, I'm thinking, he's thinking, you know, where can I get my half a percent cut for helping or whatever. And I was saying, there's nothing here. But he took a look anyway, and he said, you know what? It looks like there's no extra here, doesn't it? He says, there is. I bet if you start putting $25 in savings every month, you won't even notice it. And guess what? We just said, we'll trust God to do that. And we did. And we've been doing it. That was about 25 years ago. We've been doing it ever since, and it's grown a little bit. But it's doable. So I just want you to know, God says this is how to live. Don't eat all of the harvest at one time. Do what you can to put even a littlest amount aside for the future. So the thing we have to focus on is the opposition. It's the problem of decision-making every time we have that opportunity to either spend or put aside, right? That's where the pressure is. The opposition of not having the discipline. And Jesus says you are going to need it because in this world you will have trouble. And one of the biggest troubles when it comes to money is, you heard that saying, that money's burning a hole in your pocket, isn't it? Why do, where does that come from? What is it about money? Well, I know what it is because I've had it happen to me. It feels like I've got this little nuclear generating plant in my pocket. It's like just generating heat. And it's just like glows, you know, because there's energy there, there's power there, there's ability there, there's opportunity, there's pleasure just like waiting to happen. That's what money does. Because you know it will provide something back. And that's the problem with our human condition, you know, being sinful in nature, apart from Christ. There's this part of us that just wants to consume now all the time. And when you've got money, baby, it's hard not to just go, okay, I will. You spend it, it's gone. You receive a temporary moment of pleasure, and then it's over. That's where the pressure is. That's the kind of trouble that we have living in this world, being humans. The other 
hard part about budgeting is it does cost something. What I don't spend today is an opportunity lost. I could be surfing right now. I could go put 60 bucks down on a hotel and stay overnight and surf for two days in a row. That's my, that's my guilty pleasure. And there's all kinds of stuff. I, I could buy something on the shopping channel right now. Oh my gosh, I can't help it. Okay, go. <laughs> there's all kinds of pressures, you know, to, to take those opportunities when they come. And it costs you something to say no. Right? There's a sense of, wow, I could have, but I didn't. And it feels like a loss sometimes. It's kind of like buying a storm shelter. Now, I imagine after seeing pictures and hearing the news, in neighboring communities who just missed the tornado by 100 yards, a lot of those people are thinking, storm shelter. I'm going to get one of those little puppies. I'm going to have that little modular thing just dropped into my yard and cover it up, and we're going to call it good. $6,000, but I'm going to do it. But other people are going, wait a minute. 6,000 bucks? I could really use that money. What if I invest in this thing and nothing ever happens? Don't you think that? I've just wasted $6,000. It's kind of like buying insurance. What if I never get sick? What if I never get in an accident? I just put down all this money. It's one of those things I just hate. But it's a very real temptation. When it comes to free-flowing cash... It's the same exact principle. You could set it aside for an emergency or for long-term care as an elderly person or an inability to earn income anymore. There's all kinds of future to give to a, something you feel passionate about and you want to have enough to give it when the time comes. But that costs you something because what if that emergency never occurs? And you think to yourself of that one in a million person who... They put like, they have a million dollar life insurance policy. They've got, they've got long-term care policies. They've got, they've got everything set up, you know, for their retirement and everything else. And then they get hit by a truck. And they don't use any of it. <laughs> Except the life insurance. But that's not even theirs. That's for somebody else. You see, we have this, this pressure of thinking, well, what if I never, never need it? And I have to tell you, God doesn't care prepare anyway. Prepare anyway. Why? Because I think that means he's going to have his blessing on it. We can't think of everything financially. We can't think of everything as a profit and loss statement. It's got to be simple faith and obedience to what God says. He says you can be foolish or you can be wise like the ant. Just put something aside. And you know what? If you don't end up needing it, trust me, he says, I got good use for it. It will not go to waste. You may not get that extra little dinky, doily doodad on the shopping channel. But what I could do with it, perhaps, is change a human heart for Jesus. So the opposition is generally right here inside of us. We need to understand God really is smart. And when he commands something, he says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. And you'll be prospered. You'll be cared for it in the event of emergency you will have enough to give. Most of us, I think every Christian I know wants to be a generous giver. I don't think I've really met a stingy Christian. I've met worried Christians who have a hard time giving because they don't see how it's all gonna pan out. But I know that even the worried Christians would love to be more generous. And God says if you have more to give, when that time comes, you're gonna be able to do it. 
Not to mention the fun, the vacations, the games, the thing you don't really need but you get to have because all your bills are paid off, your house is paid off, and so you get to have the Mustang, you know, whatever it is. Those things are not ungodly. They're not sinful. But God says do it in his order, in his time, with his priorities in mind. Pam and I, uh, nowadays, have a, uh, we have a $20 a piece allowance a week. That's kind of our free spending money, 20 bucks. So when my 20 bucks is gone, it's gone. But I, it, for me, it's just like, look, Starbucks, that's my Starbucks allowance or my McDonald's or my taco time, just kind of that little stuff, you know, or, or I stop by and get the pizza on the way home, you know, that kind of thing. It goes pretty fast that way. But there are days when I'm going, you know, there's a refrigerator full of leftovers, and if I take the extra 10 minutes to put that in Tupperware and bring it to work, I'm saving five bucks. There's five bucks right there, boom. I can spend the five, it's in the budget. We put our budget before the Lord. He says, good job, I'm in. But I don't have to spend it if I want to take the extra time to bring some leftovers and eat that instead, right? Because guess what? If I do, there's five more dollars, either for the next lunch, which could be a $10 lunch, <laughs> or for the next surf trip, or the little extra for who knows what, but it's, it's money still there. And, and that's a hard decision, because I'm kind of lazy in the morning. I don't like making my lunch in the morning. I just, I don't know, I, I got my five bucks coming. Why would I do that? But I'm just learning, you know what, there's a reward to that. There's a reward to just kind of saying, let's do the extra hard work, be disciplined, be diligent, let's budget. I'm gonna close with that because most of us in the room don't need to know how to budget. Most of us have seen and done enough to know how it works. If you don't, go on the internet. There's all kinds of great tools. Dave Ramsey has some great free downloadable budgets and tools. I think what we need to do is just remember that this is a God idea. It's not a financial idea. This is a God idea. And he's very clear, very vivid in his word to motivate us to say, okay, I get it, I'm in. And so if you would just decide today, Lord, I want to honor you with my wealth, which is what he says throughout his word, by first giving you 10%, and then putting 10% aside for the future, planning and preparing, and then living on 80% and figuring out how to do that. Like I don't go to Starbucks anymore. I get McDonald's coffee. It's half the price. And it's fine for me. I'm not a snob. I don't care. There are little things you can do to live on 80% and make it work. He says, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to make sure you have not only enough, but more than enough to meet all of your needs and all the things that I've called you to do if you will simply plan for the inevitable. 10, 10, 80. It's a great rule to live by. If you can't get there today, I want to strongly encourage you move in that direction if you want God's blessing on your finances. Can you imagine the difference between two people? This family over here says, we're, just, we're math whizzes. I've got a degree in economics. We've got three jobs. We're making all kinds of money. We've got the best interest rate on our mortgage. And we're going to make this work. Versus the family over here who says, I have a little education, a little money. We've made a few good choices. But Jesus, without you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Which one's going to come out ahead? This one. If we will just take some of the principles of his word and then say, Lord, I surrender all 
to you. That's when his blessing and his favor will come. And it will generally not come overnight. It'll be a long, slow journey. But it will be a journey to what I believe is prosperity in his definition. Amen? Amen. So Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to just reconsider, Lord, how we handle one of the most important resources you've given us, and that's our money. Would you help us, Father God, as individuals to reconsider perhaps some of the things we've decided in the past and make some adjustments that are more closely in line with what you're looking for, what you're after, what you desire for us. Give us the strength to be disciplined to make hard choices when the answer should be no instead of yes. Help us to delay gratification knowing that there is a greater reward awaiting us, Father, if we'll just hold off for a bit. And Father, we've learned about work. We've learned about letting you be the owner and us being the farmhands. And all that says to us, Father, we we still need your grace and your provision. Apart from the flow from heaven, there's no hope for us, any of us, getting ahead. So we just cry out, Lord, continue to provide for us. Show us how to apply ourselves to partner with you. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It is tax time, right? It's coming up, so this could be an apropos discussion to have. God bless you. See you next Sunday. <laughs> yes, God's word is so awesome. Thanks, Pastor Alex. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available, as well as complete children's education programs. We host the Wildfire Youth Programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.